Welcome to episode three of A Dose of True Crime, the podcast with a penchant for poisons. I'm your host and resident toxicologist, Erin. Thank you so much for being here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Subscribing helps me see who's interested and who's listening and lets me keep creating episodes for y'all. So please, please, please hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. If you have any suggestions or ideas, feel free to shoot me an email at a dose of true crime, all one word, at gmail.com. Again, that's a dose of true crime at gmail.com. So let's go ahead and get into this week's story. Sunday, September 2nd, 2018, was a hot, dry day in Harker Heights, Texas with the afternoon reaching about 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Rochelle Lindor had been in the hospital overnight due to an illness and was being discharged. Her husband, Leslie Lindor, was taking her home to rest and recover. Rochelle had been experiencing bouts of illness that the doctors diagnosed as gastroenteritis, or an inflammation of the digestive system. The night of the second saw Rochelle's health decline again, and was described as a round of agonizing illness, ultimately taking her life early the next morning on September 3rd. Rochelle was 33 years old at the time of her death. Her funeral was held in her hometown of Medford, Massachusetts later that month. Rochelle Lindor, formerly Gachette, was born in Haiti to parents Lamatine and Edil. She and her four siblings, two brothers and two sisters, were brought up in the Christian faith in Medford, Massachusetts, with Rochelle carrying her religious beliefs with her into adulthood. She studied public health in college and would work as a caregiver, traveling to the homes of senior adults to provide assistance. In 2010, Rochelle married the love of her life, Leslie Lindor. In 2012, Leslie joined the United States Army, and by 2017, He was a special agent with the Criminal Investigation Command, or CID, stationed at Fort Hood in Texas. As Army Staff Sergeant Lindor, Leslie worked on cases involving major felonies like murder, sexual assault, and drug trafficking. Eight years into their marriage, Leslie was considering adding a child to their family. Rochelle, however, was unable to have children. This caused tension in their marriage and ultimately led to their relationship falling apart. Leslie began seeking an end to their marriage. Rochelle's Christian faith was still a central part of her life, and her beliefs prohibited her from getting a divorce. She refused to grant Leslie a divorce and stood by her faith and her marriage vows. Leslie, however, decided to look into alternate methods of ending his marriage. In June of 2018, Leslie had time off from work and informed his command that he would be heading to Miramar, Florida. In reality, Leslie made his way to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, to meet with Burton Charles, a local voodoo practitioner. Voodoo is a West African word meaning spirit or God, and the tenets of the voodoo religion are kind of a blend of French Catholicism and African religious traditions. These two belief systems are seen blending in Haiti, 
where voodoo practice is interpreted as, quote, serving the spirits. This service is seen in sacred temples where food and drinks are offered up on an altar to a specific spirit, or Iwa. Practitioners sing and dance to the beats of drums to encourage an Iwa to enter into communication with an individual. This communication is believed to happen when a spirit manifests within a human. The human would then speak, move, and behave as the spirit would. Leslie's intent in visiting Charles was to procure a poison that would relieve him of his marriage without a divorce. Charles, in an endeavor to assist Leslie, agreed to mail the chosen poison to Leslie once Leslie was stateside again. Later in June, Leslie requested information on how effective his chosen poison would be, which Charles gladly provided. He sent Leslie a video demonstrating the poison's efficacy on a cat. In the video, Charles administers the toxin as an oil to the cat, and the cat subsequently dies. Convinced, Leslie agreed to that specific poison. Charles allegedly sent Leslie tetrodotoxin, a poison commonly found in pufferfish, among other options, via the mail service DHL. The shipment, however, did not clear customs and was never received by Leslie in the United States. Leslie, however, did not give up there. He traveled back to Haiti in July and procured another poison, successfully bringing it home to Texas. He placed it on and around Rochelle's car seat and in her shoes, which interesting placement. Court documents are not clear which poison was used on Rochelle's seat and in her shoes, but it is evident that the compound was not effective through dermal absorption since there's no real documentation that there was any effect on Rochelle's health. So failing again, Leslie requested more poison from Charles, which successfully arrived via the mail service DHL in early August. It is not clear what this shipment of poison was specifically used for because later that month, Leslie convinced Rochelle to travel to Haiti with him. While visiting Haiti on Friday, August 24th, Leslie, having procured more of the toxic oil from Charles, attempted to kill Rochelle by placing the oil in her water. She reacted to the bitter taste and the foul smell of the water by spitting it out, ingesting a very minor amount of the poison. Definitely not enough to kill her. Leslie was irritated that his most recent attempt did not work and complained to Charles. Charles told him to give her a larger dose. He also suggested a different poison, this one in powder form. On Monday, August 27th, Leslie and Rochelle traveled to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the capital city. Here, Leslie placed the toxic powder in Rochelle's food. She started feeling poorly and began experiencing vomiting and diarrhea. After some rest, Rochelle's health had improved enough for her and Leslie to travel home. Through the airport, Rochelle did need wheelchair assistance due to her weakened state. Once they made it back to Texas, Rochelle was still ill and eventually visited the emergency department. Doctors evaluated her symptoms and diagnosed her with gastroenteritis, a condition where the digestive tract is irritated and inflamed, and she was sent home to recover. The next couple days, Rochelle rested and tried to recover from her debilitating illness with her dear husband, Leslie, 
providing her care, food, and water. What a surprise then when Rochelle became sick again, this time with incessant drooling, seizures, and wet, twitchy eyes. She returned to the hospital where she was admitted and treated for several days. On Thursday, August 30th, 2018, Rochelle was still in the hospital and, health-wise, doing much better. Doctors and nurses were shocked when, later that day, her health turned and she fell extremely ill again. Reports do not provide much detail on her symptoms here, other than it was a drastic change for the worse. Doctors asked Leslie, who had not left her bedside, if he saw what happened or had any idea what caused her to become so ill when she was recovering so smoothly. Leslie claimed that he knew nothing, that he had no idea what happened. Later, he would admit to lying to providers about his reported ignorance. He had, in fact, poisoned Rochelle's drinking water while she was in the hospital. In the hospital. This guy really has some nerve. Again, Rochelle survived and began to recover. On Sunday, September 2nd, 2018, she was discharged and allowed to return home. Leslie, fed up with his own failed attempts on Rochelle's life, gave it one more shot, giving her another dose of poison. Rochelle battled through the night before finally succumbing to her husband's murder plot early Monday morning, September 3rd, 2018. Leslie reported his wife's death, calling emergency services. Police and medical personnel arrived at the Lindor home and pronounced Rochelle dead. Leslie answered questions from police and EMTs, filling them in on her recent hospital stays and illnesses, claiming to not know what she was sick from. The Harker Heights Police Department had suspicions, though. An autopsy was performed on Rochelle, and her cause of death was determined to be the toxic effects of methomil. At some point in the investigation, the CID stepped in since Leslie was a member of the Army. Also being a CID special agent, he was placed on administrative leave beginning in October of 2018. I was not able to find a lot of information on the investigation into Rochelle's death. Court documents do outline Leslie's next move, though. After Rochelle's death, it was discovered that Leslie had been using CID databases to collect pictures and information on a woman that he apparently was interested in romantically. Uh, Seeming to be obsessed with her, Leslie collected information on her ex-husband and her current boyfriend. He was documented to be leaving threatening notes at her place of work, on her car. Super creepy. Leslie also collected information on the investigators looking into Rochelle's death. All of this information was then distributed to a number of voodoo practitioners, requesting spells to help further Leslie's goals. So spells to encourage this mystery woman to return his feelings, and then spells to obstruct the investigators looking into Rochelle's death. These spells involved wrapping the images Leslie collected around a rooster, and then using a knife to stab the images through the rooster's face, all before setting the animal on fire. Slightly delayed trigger warning. The investigations that occurred over the next year and a half are sort of unclear, but in February of 2021, Leslie Lindor was formally charged with the murder of his wife and was arrested. In total, 
He was charged with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, three counts of attempted murder, dereliction of duty, obstruction of justice, stalking, disobeying a warrant officer, and violating the federal biological weapons statute. Leslie went on to remain in prison until the trial in September of 2021, where he ended up making a deal. He pled guilty to all charges, and in turn, he would serve no more than 70 years in prison and would be eligible for parole. Part of the plea deal included a stipulation of fact. So in legal terms, a stipulated fact is when it's basically an item that all parties agree on that it's true, and therefore it doesn't need to be debated or proven in a court of law. So it allows for court cases to focus on the points of contention rather than spending time establishing basic facts. I absolutely had to look this up, and it is important. (laughs) In Leslie's case, Leslie and his counsel agreed to the following stipulated facts in his court case. One, Leslie used law enforcement information systems to access data on his post-murder love interest, her former and current partners, and the investigators tied to Rochelle's case. Two, Leslie sent information to several voodoo practitioners to facilitate love spells and obstruction spells. So these items were seen as undisputed truths that did not need to be proven in a court of law. Prosecution and defense all agreed to that. At the time, the judge presiding over the court explained that these stipulated facts would be used in two ways. One, they would be used to determine if Leslie was guilty of the offenses to which he was pleading guilty. And two, the judge would use them to determine an appropriate punishment. Leslie and his counsel agreed to the use of these stipulations and, when the judge asked again, stated that he did not have any objection to the stipulation. This all became really important in June of this year, 2023. Leslie had been working on an appeal of his sentence and was finally seen back in military court on June 14th, 2023. He argued that his original sentencing should be revised due to violation of his First Amendment rights. So, as a reminder on the First Amendment, in part, it states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof also including the right to free speech, but their focus was on the freedom of religion piece. Leslie and his team claimed that his right to freely express his religion was violated in the first court case. This is based on how his practice of voodoo and Rochelle's practice of Christianity was represented, including descriptions of Rochelle's religious beliefs that kept her from allowing a divorce and descriptions of Leslie's participation in and encouragement of supernatural forces to act on Leslie's behalf. These objections are interesting because they had never been heard before, especially when Leslie's use of voodoo rituals were entered as a stipulated fact in the original trial, and Leslie confirmed that he had no objection to their use. The appeals court also thought this was very interesting timing on Leslie's part, um, and they documented the attempt 
uh, to unseat the previously agreed upon material. The appeals court used a previous court case to set precedent and conclude that Leslie's freedom to exercise his religion cannot excuse the, quote, clear and present danger, end quote, he presented to Rochelle. Quote, put plainly, we decline to characterize Leslie's misconduct towards Rochelle Lindor as the free exercise of religious belief, end quote. Leslie's initial sentence was upheld, and he remains in prison this couple weeks after his appeal was settled. So let's jump in to the science portion. So there are multiple poisons at play here, some even undocumented. We know that Leslie attempted to get tetrodotoxin, the pufferfish poison, but it's unclear if he actually acquired it and used it on Rochelle. In her autopsy, methomel was confirmed as the cause of death. So we will walk through both of these, spending the most time on methomel, since it was the legit cause of death. Tetrodotoxin is a neurotoxin that can be found in fish. Famously, it can be found in pufferfish, specifically. Since heating this particular toxin doesn't deactivate it, some report a numbness of the mouth after consuming pufferfish that was not prepared by a trained professional. Tetrodotoxin impacts the body's neurons and the signals they send through the body. So remember, neurons are like our little mailmen, delivering messages about how to move, how to feel, taste, react, breathe, everything. Tetrodotoxin specifically impacts the sodium channels. So to break that down, in the process of passing along a message from the brain, neurons go through a pattern of electrical charges that propagate the message or keep the message moving. Sodium is a chemical element that in the human body typically holds a positive charge. Neurons at rest are at a negative charge. In order to pass a message down from the brain, the sodium outside of the neuron floods in through a channel and change the neuron to be positively charged. This is critical to keep that initial message moving. So tetrodotoxin steps in and blocks or inhibits that channel. It keeps the channel from allowing sodium into the neuron and basically stops the mailmen in their tracks. Think Gandalf, you shall not pass. That's what we're doing. This message or signal is then it's never delivered. So if that message was to tell your lungs to expand and inhale, the message was never received and your lungs do nothing. If a message was for your muscles in your mouth to move and form a word, that signal was stopped and you are unable to form that word. In most cases of tetrodotoxin poisoning, symptoms start about 20 minutes after ingestion and are heavily dependent on the dose or the amount ingested. After all, the dose makes the poison. Back in 1941, scientists described a, quote, grading of poison uh, for tetrodotoxin, depending on the dose and time after ingestion. So grade one, which is your lowest grade, um, you some of the symptoms are paresthesia, which is like the prickling skin, so like pins and needles in your skin, uh, and partial numbness. Um, it can also include some gastrointestinal symptoms like nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, 
diarrhea, all fun stuff. Grade two of tetrodotoxin poisoning includes facial numbness, slurred speech, early motor paralysis, and coordination. Grade three is something called flaccid paralysis, which is where your muscles are relaxed. It's like your arm muscles are just relaxed and they're floppy. Uh, Aphonia, which is when you you can't make a sound. Um, And then respiratory failure, which is when you're starting to not breathe so effectively and not getting oxygen into your body. Grade four is the highest grade of poisoning. Um, And this is severe respiratory failure with hypoxia, which is where your body is just not getting enough oxygen. Bradycardia, which is a low heart rate. Hypotension, which is a low blood pressure. And cardiac dysrhythmias, which is when your heart is doing some funky, ineffective beating. And then finally, unconsciousness. So lots of fun to be had with tetrodotoxin in total sarcasm. So methomol is what actually killed Rochelle Lindor. It is a pesticide, specifically a carbamate pesticide, which just kind of describes its chemical structure a little more, kind of puts it into a category of other pesticides. You'll hear about carbamate pesticides and then organophosphate pesticides. Um, The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, classifies it as a category one toxin, with one being the most toxic category when ingested orally. It wreaks havoc on the body by inhibiting a critical enzyme called acetylcholinesterase. Acetylcholinesterase is an important enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine, which is an important neurotransmitter. Remember from episode two, where we talked about another neurotransmitter and how they were like the mailmen, right? Delivering messages through the body. So this neurotransmitter, acetylcholine, has a different job than the one we talked about in episode two, though. Acetylcholine hangs out in neuromuscular junctions, or where a nerve meets a muscle. Acetylcholine is basically an extension of the message sent from the brain. The message reached the end of the neuron, and acetylcholine is sent across the junction to deliver the message to the muscle, telling it to move. Acetylcholine will keep delivering that message over and over and over until it is broken down by acetylcholinesterase. Without being stopped, acetylcholine can send a ton of messages to muscles to move and move and move, even when the brain is no longer telling that muscle to move. Something has to stop it, and that's where this enzyme, acetylcholinesterase, comes in. So methomol, this pesticide, is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor, meaning it keeps the enzyme from breaking down acetylcholine. So it stops this enzyme from stopping acetylcholine. So then acetylcholine just keeps going and going and going, sending message after message to your muscles. So the symptoms of methomal toxicity, which um, these also describe carbamate pesticide toxicity, since methomal is a carbamate uh, carbamate insecticide, um, they fit into a toxidrome called the cholinergic toxidrome. So a toxidrome is a combination of toxic and syndrome. Basically, it's a way to describe a specific set of symptoms tied to a toxin. So generally, toxins can be categorized by their mechanism of action or how they work. Methomol, for instance, 
function similarly to other pesticides and then can be described by the same toxidrome. The cholinergic toxidrome can be described by the acronym DUMBELLS, D-U-M-B-E-L-L-S. Um, and it's just kind of an acronym to make sure you remember all the symptoms to try to pick it out if you ever see it in somebody. So D stands for diarrhea and also diaphoresis, which is excessive sweating. U is urination. M is meiosis, which is pinpoint pupils. B is bradycardia. E is emesis, which is vomiting, nausea. L is lacrimation, which is tear production, like from your eyes. L is, the second L is lethargy. And finally, S is salivation. So basically it turns on all the waterworks. So saliva, tears, sweat, urine, bowel movements, all of the body's excretions are increased. So think back to Rochelle when she was reported as just uncontrollably drooling. That's a major symptom of a cholinergic toxidrome. Other symptoms can include confusion, delirium, tremor, and seizures. Symptoms can be seen within minutes of a huge dose. Methomal, if not ingested in a toxic dose, is mostly excreted or kind of released from the body within a few days, relieving the symptoms. This aligns with Rochelle's up and down health. The doses she was being given were not big enough to kill her, and she would recover over the next few days. The final dose, administered when she was home from the hospital, was large enough to cause, cause flaccid paralysis or the weakened, relaxed muscles, which is normally the major cause of death with carbamate toxicity. This paralysis develops in the respiratory muscles, so the muscles that are responsible for expanding your lungs to take in a breath and then contracting them to help you exhale, they stop working. They weaken and they relax and they're no longer doing what they're supposed to do. So is there a treatment for carbamate toxicity? Yes. Um, recommendations are to diagnose the poisoning by symptoms present and start by decontamination. So to run through the dumbbells acronym and identify that you're dealing with a cholinergic toxidrome. So decontamination is basically removing anything that can be causing additional toxicity, like the husband. But in all seriousness, it can be like your clothing or the environment you're in. If necessary, intubation is called for to protect the airway. Also atropine is called for. So atropine works to antagonize the acetylcholine in the neuromuscular junction. In simpler terms, it works against those repeat messages sent by acetylcholine, where the excess acetylcholine causes all of your excretions to increase, you know, all of the tears and the sweat and the spit. Atropine does the opposite and kind of reduces all of that. It dries you up. So atropine won't necessarily help with the muscle weakness and the paralysis, but it can help settle down the tears, the urination, the diarrhea, the sweating, the salivation, kind of can help dry you up on that front. Benzodiazepines are also used to treat seizure activity. So I know we talked about benzodiazepines back in episode two as a poison. Remember, the dose makes the poison. We talked about how they, uh, the GABA neurotransmitter calms an overactive brain. For this, it's a clinical use of benzodiazepines. Seizures 
are a result of overexcitement in the brain, and benzos enhance GABA activity, which in turn reduces the overall excitement. I kind of see this as like a mental weighted blanket. GABA comes in and just is like, okay, chill, guys, chill. So if you're having seizures, that is a good treatment to kind of help calm everything down and stop those seizures. And if treated in time, it is possible that Rochelle could have recovered from methomal poisoning, but with her husband responsible for her recovery at home, he had the opportunity to administer a fatal dose and the time in which no one could step in and save her. So that's the story for this week. Rest assured, Leslie will be in jail for a long time. His appeal was denied and his original sentence was upheld. So he will remain in jail for quite some time. So that's all for this week's episode. I hope you have a happy and safe 4th of July. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. To get in touch with the podcast, you can send an email to a dose of true crime at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at a dose of true crime, all one word. If you enjoyed the episode, please follow, rate, and review the podcast on whatever platform you use. See you next week for more tales of toxicity. Port-au-Prince, Heidi, oh my gosh, in reality, Leslie made his way, okay, okay, let's try that whole thing again, Mm. Haiti, this is not clueless, Haiti, yeah, Uh (laughs) (laughs) this is all going in my bloopers, by the way, okay, well, we can back that whole thing up.